I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome back, Hawkeye fans, to another edition of the Hawkeye History Podcast. I am Rob Howe, publisher of Hawkeye Nation. Happy to be joined today by former Iowa punter Ryan Donahue. And what's more Iowa than having a punter on my Hawkeye History Podcast? Is it, doesn't that just speak to the Iowa program, Ryan? It does. I mean, punting is winning. I mean, this is, uh, you know, this is part of the Hawkeye uh, nature and, you know, for most teams, no, you know, you're not really, uh, <laughs> you're not really blessed with a, a fan base who loves the punter as much as the Hawkeyes do. So uh, it's, it was, a, it was a blessing to be there, and I, I'm now I'm a Hawkeye fan. It's, uh, it is, it's part of the fabric of the culture at Iowa, just uh, especially with Coach Ferentz and, and you know his his system of football and and uh, how important it is for field position and special teams and things like that. And I think it makes. It's it's cool because you um, you get to go you get to go know guys that a lot of times are faceless or nameless when it comes to college football programs. But you have you know from from you and Jason Baker and Nate Cading and even a guy like Tyler Kluver when you know you had the you know the, the uh, pole cat. They're just there are guys that um, in, in a lot of programs you probably wouldn't know about, but their their value. I guess is recognized when it comes to Iowa football. It is. I mean, <clears throat> it, it's you know Nate really set the standard for for you know at least my generation you know of uh, kickers and punters and you know the specialist program has been really special. I mean, ever since you know him. I mean, you go back to you know the Schlicker, the Bradley, um, you know Fenstermaker, and on out. I mean, they, those guys really set the tone for what we have now, and um, I think. You know, there's a sense of pride when it comes to, you know, being a specialist in Iowa. Um, you know, a lot of the times you're off on your own and you're doing your own thing, but, you know, you're still very much part of the team. Coach Doyle makes, makes sure of that. And, um, you know, just, you know, just from the, from, the, um, from, the, from the veterans to, you know, on down, it's, it's, it's such a great group of guys. And, um, you know, we still stay, stay in touch. And uh, we still got our boy Casey Kreider snapping now with the Giants. And so, uh, you know, we, we, we make sure to – keep in touch with each other and really just encourage each other uh, throughout this, uh, the later years in the uh, process for him. Yeah. And I mean, this is my, um, I, I, my first season covering Iowa football was 1997 and I've grown to appreciate the specials. I even did a story last year on long snappers, the history of long snappers during the Kirk Ferentz era. So I am on board with the specialists at Iowa, and I, and I covered Nate when he was in high school at West High, Iowa City West High. So I, I've learned to value what you guys bring to the program, and uh, I think the fan base has too. Like you said, I mean, people, that punting is winning is, you know, a part of what uh, – people understand that, and, and I think that's, that's special because you don't get that everywhere. You really don't. No, you honestly really don't. I mean – if, if anyone gets punting, it's definitely the Hawkeye fan base. And, you know, you know, for someone like me, you know, to, to come in there and, you know, just go through the growing pains that I did, you know, for the first couple of years, like everyone did. I know Nate, you know, Nate had some growing pains too. And, you know, a couple other guys and, you know, just to stick with you. And then, you know, not only that, but just learn, you know, learn 
what hang time is, what distance is, what, you know, the nuts and bolts of what we actually do are. I mean, most fan bases, you know, they, they don't know that. And, you know, for the Hawkeye fan base to be so ingrained in the game and so ingrained in the loyalty, it's, it's, it's uh, like I said, something truly special that, you know, I can just go and have a tailgate with somebody and, you know, actually have a good conversation with a Hawkeye fan about, you know, the nuts and bolts of punting. And, um, you know, it's just something you don't get everywhere. Yeah, it's, uh, it's good stuff. I enjoy it. And uh, we'll get, we'll go over some more of that stuff and kind of your career, but I wanted to, uh, you know, we're living in just a different time right now in the world, this country. Um, Where are you at now? Kind of, what are you doing? How, how, how's the pandemic affected you? I mean, what's your daily life? Yeah, no. So <clears throat> I actually recently just moved into a new apartment. I was moving for the past uh, two weeks. So um, prior to that, we had a different location set up. Uh, me and my girlfriend moved in and we were looking to go, go into the city of Chicago. And um, I'm born and raised on the southwest side of Chicago. And so, um, you know, I've been around here for the past few years. Um, and I've been working at an automotive um, company called LKQ. And it was uh, unfortunately had to downsize because of all the COVID and everything like that. Um, and so, you know, we, uh, there was a bunch of layoffs and, you know, so I am affected. Um, I'm affected by it right now. Uh, you know, it's, it's tough times for everybody. I mean, I'm not going to complain, but you know, it's, you know, you just got to pick your head up and keep going. I mean, no one knows what's going to happen and you just got to fall forward. Yeah, that sucks. I'm sorry to hear that, man. I know, um, you know, so many people are affected by this thing and mm-hmm. that's a great attitude to kind of just be thankful for what you have and, and kind of keep pushing forward. I think if anything we've learned through this whole process is maybe to slow down a little bit and, and reflect on, on what we have and how lucky we are, a, a lot of us. And hopefully mm-hmm. um, you land back on your feet and get another gig and, uh, and um, you know, are able to push forward. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're all in this together, right? Yeah. <laughs> Without question. So, um, what uh, is that? Was that something you did right? Um, obviously, I know you tried. Uh, your your cast your your lot at the the NFL, and it's just we can go through that again too. How hard it is to to make it as a specialist in the NFL because there are so few jobs. But what did you do after football initially? Is this been your career since you you left Iowa? So right after football, let's see, 2011 was my, uh, the season I played with the Lions. Um, I was with them until 2012, um, and then I bounced around um, in 2012 just for different workouts and things like that, just short list for, you know, any uh, NFL punters that got hurt. Um, so I was there, that was 2012-13, um, did a few combines, things like that, really tried to, you know, progress the career, and then by 14 – it was clear that, you know, it was time to, um, you know, step aside and, you know, the injury really, you know, set me back, you know, enough to where, you know, I couldn't really get back to, you know, the level of top 32 punters in America and the NFL. So Ryan, sorry to interrupt, but tell people about the injury and what what that was and how it affected you. Sure. Um, So let's see, going back 2011 was uh, my first year. I came in as a free agent. It was the lockout year as well. So, I was actually in Iowa City end of, uh, let's see, July. End of July, I was in Iowa City packing up my things. My lease was up, um, and I had been training there. Um, and so it, the NFL free agency had actually opened up a day early. I can't remember the exact date. I think it was supposed to open up the 28th of July. And the 27th of July, that night, I started getting phone calls from my agent and a couple teams saying, okay, it opened up. And so the rest of that was not spent packing. It was spent uh, negotiating and seeing where I wanted to go. So it ended up being Detroit was the best fit for me. Um, they, you know, uh, they told me that, you know, they, they were going to give me a 50, 50 shot. And so I just, you know, me and my family decided it was the best place for me and um, went to Detroit, um, had a really good competition with Nick Harris, uh, was fortunate enough to win that competition and um, be the only free agent punter in the NFL this, that year. Um, so for the first eight games, uh, you know, bumps and bruises here and there, but, uh, we got through it and then the bye week came and, uh, right after the bye week, we were playing in Chicago, uh, my hometown. And so it was kind of like my homecoming. And, um, after, during the bye week, Jason Hansen, the kicker had gotten hurt. Um, he was like off road go-karting or something with his daughter who was driving and, um, went off a little bit road, caught a groove and, you know, went into a tree. And he had lacerated his non-kicking uh, leg, his knee. 
pretty big gash, a um, lot of stitches. And so this was the week of going to Chicago for the Bears game. And, uh, you know, the coaching staff, you know, they, they didn't know if he was going to be able to go or not. And so, you know, they asked me to kick. And so, you know, and so I was kicking. And it, was, it was going great. You know, I mean, I was a kicker in high school and, you know, back, it, back up for Daniel and Trent and Mike for, you know, for four years at Iowa. And so, you know, I, it was just plug and play. And so kicking through a few balls uh, right before we were going to go to the team period, I kicked through a ball, raised the ground just a little bit with the toe, uh, you know, as kickers do. And felt a pop in my leg, um, in my quad more specifically. And, you know, I tried to reach back and it really, really hurt. I'd never been injured before my whole career at Iowa, never, no, I mean, no injuries. And so, you know, I tried to kick again and I just went down. And, um, you know, Coach Schwartz came over. Uh, he was our head coach at the time. And Schwartz, you know, kind of looked down at me and said, great, now we have no kickers. And a few expletives and walked away. So, good thing you were sympathetic. So, yeah, it was not very sympathetic to the kicker situation. So it was Wednesday of game week. We're playing the Bears on Sunday uh, late afternoon, and we don't have a kicker or a punter. So uh, the next day was uh, very interesting with people coming in to uh, try out and things like that for kicker and punter position. Very busy day. But um, as far as my career goes, I mean, that's kind of where, you know, they kept me on the active roster, seeing if I can come back. Because at first they thought it was going to be a strain, or they thought it was a strain tried to rehab the strain and um, turns out that I had a 50% tear in my quad. Um, so 50% tear in, um, oh man, there's four muscles in the quad, obviously. And man, I do, I do not know the names of each one of them, but it was the middle power muscle is the one that I had um, torn in half. And so to this day, I have a hole in my leg, which is, you know, a grim reminder of uh, <laughs> that day. But um, yeah, the rest of that season spent on IR and, um, you know, it was it was a unfortunate happenstance, but you know what? Things happen for a reason, and um, and uh, I'm not bitter about it. I am so lucky to even have been, you know, in the league that I was in. I mean, you know, talking about the best in you know the world, and it was uh, an incredible experience that you know I cherish still to this day. So, is it just one of those injuries, Ryan, that you're just not going to get back to the hundred percent that you were at prior to it? Yes. Um, unfortunately, you know, through the many doctors that I've, that I've seen and specialists, they said there's pretty, you know, there's a, there's over a 90% chance of re-injury. Mm. And, um, you know, with that muscle being the power muscle, that's what I use to drive, you know, the ball downfield. And so when, you know, that this happened, um, I tried to train my other two muscles in the quad, the outside muscles to uh, take over. And it could pretty much do everything. Um, the hang time was great, everything like that, you know, but it just wasn't where I was before. Um, even my, probably even up to my senior year. I mean, I was, you know, it was, it was uh, not to the level of the NFL standards for sure. So, um, you know, just that coupled with, you know, the fact of re-injury, it's, uh, you know, it just wasn't worth, you know, my health. So at that point, and I interrupted you, your story uh, before, um, so then you come to, you know, the, you know, the realization that, you know, the, the football's over, what's that like? And, and, you know, where's your mind at that point? Because it's been such a big part of your life for so long. Yeah. I mean, you know, that's kind of one of the unspoken things about, you know, former, you know, athletes, especially football players and, you know, guys who have been to, you know, the highest level. And, you know, it's really hard to match that, um, you know, and it's really, you know, in your mind, you know, you know, at least for me, you know, it was, you know, it was tough. You know, you've, uh, you've built up your credibility. This is your resume. People, you know, you, you know, you do things for your profession to build up your resume to get where you want to go. And, uh, you know, it's just like your career, you know. So, if, you know, you put it in perspective of, you know, I've worked so hard for this. I, you know, I went to college for this. I went to, you know, I, I put in this many hours um, day in, day out. And to have that all just kind of be taken away because of physical limitation that was, you know, really out of your control is uh, it's really tough, you know. And, you know, we talk about, you know, with real world things. And we talk about some of our former teammates, you know, you, you talk about Breck Greenwood and, you know, I mean, the physical limitation now that, you know, he just keeps charging forward, you know, guys that, you know, we've played with, you know, Kyle Spading, Kyle Spading, you know, unfortunate events happen to him and, you know, out of his control, he, you know, he can't, you know, walk anymore. And, you know, there's, there's bigger picture things in life. And I think that if, the worst thing I have is a little 50% tear in a quad muscle that 
is, you know, that, that still works and I can still walk on it. It doesn't hurt. I think that I'm doing pretty good. So what were, uh, so what were your options at that point? Just in terms of, uh, I, I don't know what you majored in at Iowa and, and kind of what was your, I mean, what, what did you look at at that point in terms of, okay, what am I going to do? Right. So from there, um, I was really passionate about kickers and punters and really wanted to develop, um, you know, some kickers and punters and saw a niche there. Um, you know, you had your national, you have your national um, kicking camps around like, you know, your Coles and Chris Saylor and, you know, one-on-one kicking and things like that. Those are some of the premier ones for anybody that didn't know. Specialist <laughs> dorkism there. But yeah, we, so I saw a little bit. Iowa, Iowa fans know about the kicking camps. Come on. Right, right. Exactly. <laughs> and so we have, uh, so I tried to start my own um, and I did, I did. I, it was called Kickball Fire Academy and uh, it was just small and it was meant to be a small fundamental camp. Um, and I ran it for two years. Um, now I just do one-on-one lessons, but I ran that for two years and it was really, I mean, it was great. It was successful. I worked with several schools around the Chicagoland area, mainly just, mainly just around here, but you know, it was really, really rewarding. And, um, you know, did that for two years and then realized, you know, okay, now it's time to, uh, find a good profession, you know, I can follow into. So, um, it was pretty much sales from there on out. I was, I'm a sale. I, I, uh, sold shoot a lot of different things in the past few years um just kind of just mom's calling um just trying to uh you know kind of find my niche and i found a good company uh, my previous company um multinational corporation just really trying to uh you know branch up and unfortunately that one didn't work out you know so now we're uh into the covid and we're gonna find something new and uh you know it's it's gonna be uh you know, it's going to be a uh, interesting, interesting journey as far as, you know, the un- unprecedented circumstances. So stay tuned. Well, we wish you the best of luck with that. And uh, yeah. hopefully you find something sooner rather than later. Is there something about sales? I know I talked to a lot of guys that have gone into medical sales and things, former players that have done that. Is there something for you about the, the competition uh, aspect of sales that kind of helps maybe fill that void of, of not, you know, it obviously you, you talked about when you play at the highest level, you can't get that same feeling, but maybe you gravitate towards something in life that can at least give you a part of that. Right. I mean, you, there, you can take away, you know, athletics and you can take away things like that, but that drive and that competition um, is something that's, you know, it's, it's just a part of you, uh, you know, as a, as a former athlete, it's, it's just a part of you. And I think that's, you know, why a lot of the, a lot of, uh, bigger corporations are really looking for that competitive drive because, you know, you, you're representing this company who, you know, really wants to push forward and they're trying to be the best they can be and they want to hire the best. And, you know, with that competition, you know, and mindset, that drive, that personal drive within you, um, it translates very well to sales and you know, negotiation and um, really just trying to get things done. And so um, the, the, the goal is that uh, the end result is the goal. And, I think that athletes really, really translate well to, you know, just sales and, you know, just speaking with people. I mean, you know, we get, we get, uh, we're fortunate enough to be able to talk to, you know, the press and, you know, have a lot of practice um, as far as, uh, you know, any regular college student goes. So it's, uh, there's a lot of trans transferables. And, you know, I think that, you know, in sales, all those things are important. Some of you guys enjoy talking to us. Others. Um, <laughs> you know, yes. I remember uh, the old football building and uh, Riley Reef, who you play, yeah. played with. He comes in, we gather around him, get maybe two, three questions off. He just looks at us all and says, that's about all I feel like answering today, guys. I'll see you later. And just- <laughs> <laughs> Riley, he, he, yeah, he, he doesn't have a whole lot of, uh, he, yeah, he doesn't have a whole lot of things to say. <laughs> yeah, he was with me in Detroit my second year, and he he came in. You know, he Riley got drafted. I think in the first he did get drafted in the first round by us, and uh, in Detroit, and he came in and drove his uh, green Ford nineteen late ninety model into the parking lot with all these other cars. And I said, "So uh, when are you going to get a new car?" He goes, "I don't know. It's not really important to me." And he walked away. So I was like, "All right, Riley, welcome to Detroit." <laughs> <laughs> that, was, that was him, man. We all just kind of looked at each other after he walked out and laughed because we knew. Yep. That kind of what, I mean, it wasn't surprising to anybody. That was kind of what because it was one of those guys where you interview and you're just 
you're hammering questions. You're just pumping questions and getting one word, two word answers. And uh, it was just funny. And we still talk about that sometimes. That, uh, that was, uh, <laughs> I'm, I can only imagine the, uh, the highlight reel you guys have. <laughs> um, so, you know, just some background on you, Ryan. Um, you know, a, a lot of guys, uh, we talked about, uh, you know, the, the appreciation for specialists at Iowa. Um, but there aren't a lot of guys that, that maybe, um, you know, when they're four or five, six years old, say, hey, I'm going to be a punter or I'm going to be a field goal kicker. Um, what were your first, you know, your early, what, what was your early involvement with sports? Uh, what, what sports did you play? What were your interests? What, 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 what drew you to uh, competitive athletics? Um, all right. Well, <clears throat> I should preface this by saying uh, both of my parents are coaches. So I always like to tell people I wasn't raised, I was coached. (laughs) My dad was an NAIA coach um, at a local college here called St. Xavier. And my mom um, was a standout uh, volleyball player and started her own volleyball club. Um, And so she ran that for 30 years, just closed down recently. But um, grew up with volleyball and soccer prominently in my life. Um, You know, I'll be going on volleyball trips since I could walk, um, I would be, you know, after school, I would be at uh, St. Xavier University with my dad who started the soccer program there. And we'd be, a bit, be at practice kicking balls around. And, um, you know, really just, I think that's really what started, you know, my involvement in sports as my parents. And, you know, from there, I played every sport that I could. Um, every sport that involves friction, I should say. I can't ski. I can't skateboard. I'm just, yeah, I can't, you know, ice skate really, but anything that involved friction, I was in. So hockey was probably the only thing that was out. Um, and so, you know, from there, I mean, just kid running around the neighborhood playing football, baseball, basketball, uh, volleyball, played a lot of club sports. Um, that took me all the way through to, to um, my time at St. Rita which um, was a high school I went to here in Chicago and started off playing football and actually really didn't even like it. I, uh, you know, I, I was like B team safety backup kicker, you know, played cause my friends were, I'm at a brand new high school um, with brand new people. So I figured it'd be a good way to, you know, extend my, or to make friends and, and um, you know, play sports, do something that I love. And, so was soccer, but, your, was soccer the, the, your main sport at that point? No, soccer, you know what, soccer kind of took a back seat to football because in Illinois it's the same season. Right, right. You have to choose one or the other, and it's, uh, you know, I chose football. It's what my friends were doing, and I was like, okay, let's play some football. And, uh, you know, you, you, you know my, what my frame is. It's, you know, tall, skinny, and uh, not really football frame. <laughs> so, <laughs> I was definitely a backup on the freshman team, and, and so, you know, I didn't want to play. My dad said, all right. It's time to finish. You, you have to finish it. You have to finish the season. And um, I did. And then I just didn't participate in any football things um, from then on out for the rest of the summer or an off season. And so I just thought I was going to play soccer or something like that. And uh, going into my sophomore year, um, I had also, I was also involved in basketball. So I, was, I played basketball um, and then volleyball as well. And so going into my senior or sorry, going into my sophomore year, a guy named JJ Standering came up to me and said, Hey, the varsity team needs a punter and a kicker. And I said, I was the backup on the freshman team and I'm not playing football anymore. And he said, all right, well, let me just, you know, work with you. And so background on JJ is he had just gotten out of Northwestern. So he was the punter at Northwestern as well as a pitcher for their baseball team. And so his family, and he went to St. Rita, obviously, and he was very, his family very involved in our school still to this day. And um, he came in and he wanted to be a coach right after college. And so he, you know, coached me up. And after a week, uh, we actually, he said it was going to be a week. And he said, after like two or three sessions, we went and kicked in front of the head coach, um, beginning of August of camp. And I kicked in front of the coach. And after three kicks, the head coach said, okay, you got the job and walked away. And I'm like, wait a minute, a week ago, I wasn't even playing football. And now I'm going to be the kicker on the varsity team as a sophomore, like starting, like I have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> and so I was very, uh, that was a big wake up call. Um, but it was a lot of fun and I got, you know, better throughout that season. Um, you know, it, it's JJ coached me. I had such a, such a fortunate, fortunate coach. I mean, he is second to none and he's actually, 
coached a lot of uh, other guys to the Big Ten as well um, since me. I was his first project. Um, so I think I lost my train of thought there. Where was I going with that? What, uh, that's a good uh, spot for me to jump in because I had a question. Um, yeah. What was it that J.J. saw in you? Uh, to, to, you know, you, you talked about you were a backup as a freshman. Was there something there that he saw that said, hey, maybe this guy's got a chance to be good at this? Well, his uh, dad, his name is Jay Standring, played, uh, he's our, he was our gym, gym teacher at the time. I think he still is a gym teacher there, um, as well as uh, teaches other classes as well. But he was a uh, big-time uh, Notre Dame uh, football player. And uh, I don't know how, how big time, but he, uh, he always tells a good story about tackling O.J. Simpson and breaking both of the ones at one time. But uh, he coached, he coached um, at our school and also did the gym class. And I remember we were at gym class, and I was just messing around. It was late spring, um, you know, of my freshman year. And we were, uh, you know, just messing around. And I was kicking barefoot, and I had to do soccer style. And I kicked straight on as a freshman, just with my toe. And so that's why I was the backup. And then, you know, I started kicking soccer style and I was, you know, hitting the ball pretty well. So I guess Jay Standring told JJ Standring that, you know, I had some potential. And um, I think it just, that conversation happened. And probably later on that summer, I kind of rung a bell in JJ's head. I don't think I've ever really asked what that conversation was, but I'm glad it happened. (laughs) (laughs) So, how much of it was natural? I mean, how much of it was kind of in there before you started to work on fundamentals? Yeah. So, I mean, you have to have, you know, kind of a natural, you know, swing or ability, you know, I mean, in any sport, you have to be a little bit of a natural at it to be, if you're going to be successful, I think. And so, you know, with that, you know, with, with my background and, you know, how I grew up kicking a ball, it was really just tweaking a thing, you know, something here and something there. Um, a lot of the kickers that I work with are, you know, soccer style kickers and they're, they, they come from soccer. Um, and so they're used to kicking a soccer ball and you just have to adjust a few things here and there and you just work with what they have. Um, so you kind of work with their body type. Each kicker is completely different and that's the beauty about it. Um, you know, as a coach now, I can see that, you know, I can work with any, you know, any size, any gender, any, any, any style kicker, um, because we can work with what they have. There are some things that are, you know, in, you know, the kicking world you have to do, you know, you have to have uh, your toe pointed down. You have to, you know, have the great cadence, you know, one, two, three, skip through things like that. There's a lot of fundamentals. Um, but a lot of that, that is also, you know, working with, you know, what you have. And so, you know, I think with my background and work and, you know, I think there was a really good translation to, you know, kicking and punting. And, you know, the more that JJ taught me and kind of molded me, um, the more that I just started to get better and better. I mean, it was all technique. You know, it wasn't me kicking any harder. It was just me, you know, doing the right things. And I think doing the right things and having that guidance with JJ really, you know, catapulted me. And I remember talking to Nate back was when he had – he hit some bumps in the road with the chargers and it was during the season. I think I talked to him and it was back then where it became more prevalent that, you know, guys in sports and now it's much more prevalent that guys in sports speak to psychologists and and people that help them with the mental part of the game. Was your, was your mental make makeup kind of conducive to that? Were you a guy that could forget, you know, the bad plays pretty easily, or is that something you had to learn over time as well? That's definitely something I had to learn over time. Um, <laughs> I was, I was definitely probably wasn't a treat to deal with because I was very, um, very critical of myself. I mean, I always said that I was my own worst critic. Um, you know, there'd be, you know, there'd be games at Iowa where I would just go home and just be distraught. We would win the game, but I would be distraught at my performance, you know, and it's, and, you know, there, with Nate, I mean, Nate brought in a, um, and he had his own sports psychologist, and I think he brought him in to the specialist at some point in time, just like for an informal, you know, whatever, because he was in there for Nate, and, uh, you know, it was it was very interesting to see how, you know, even Nate 
And that was my first, that was my very first, you know, introduction to any sports psychologist. I don't think I had even heard of that. I'm like, oh, well, this is what the guys in the NFL do now. And so it was very interesting to me to, you know, start learning about the mental aspect of things um, and the game and, you know, how you should, you know, really try to handle it. And I learned so much and grew so much mentally at Iowa. I mean, leaps and bounds just through, you know, having to deal with some of the trials and tribulations that come with being, you know, student athlete all the way up to, you know, game performance. And it was, you know, I was, I was a very, let's just say, I remember a coach called me a Maverick one time and we'll just stick with that moniker, the Maverick. I've uh, <laughs> had a lot, of, a lot of ideas about things at times he says. So it was, uh, yeah, good experiences. Um, so you got to Iowa, what was that? 2006. I remember writing your recruiting story. Was 2006 your first season? 2006, I graduated high school. 2007, I redshirted. No, 2006, I redshirted. 07, 8, 9, and 10, I was playing. Yes. So, 06, who was the punter? Andy Fenstermaker. That's right. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, what was that first year like, Ryan? Just kind of getting your feet under you at the college level. What, what was that? Do you remember what that first year was like? Yeah, no, I mean, that first year, uh, it was difficult. <laughs> it was a really difficult transition. Um, I was very glad I redshirted. You know, there's a lot of different things that, you know, you have to deal with, you know, when you come to, you know, Iowa. And one of them is being having a schedule from 6 a.m. to 10 p.m. I mean, that's, that's something that they, they don't tell you. They don't tell you that you're going to be, you know, your day is going to be full as a full-time student athlete. And, you know, from 6 a.m. to 10 p.m., that's your day right there. You'll have a couple hours at the end of the day to – you're so tired by then, you just sleep. But uh, it's, it's uh, you know, it's, it's definitely – it was definitely a different, diff- difficult transition as far as, um, you know, just growing up. Um, and I think that's the beauty about, you know, redshirting is it affords you the opportunity to grow up. And I think it's such a great tool that not enough people – uh, student athletes, you know, take advantage of um, just that extra year to, you know, get your feet above you, just have a good base and then, you know, go to conquer your career from there. Um, you know, as far as athletic on the, on the field, um, there's a lot of growing up to do there too. I mean, you're at a whole new level and you're, you know, you go from high school to division one, big 10 football. And, you know, that's not, that's not a jump that, you know, many people can, you know, make right away. And so it's, uh, it, it was definitely, challenging. Um, but I learned a lot from Andy, Andy and Hopper, um, they really, you know, show me the way of what it is to be, you know, a big 10 kicker and, you know, the way to handle things. And so, you know, that first year I think was invaluable to me just, you know, because those guys helped, you know, helped out so much. And what was that, that, uh, I guess that following spring, like when, it, you know, you were competing for the job and, and, uh, who was your who was the long snapper back then? Did you have multiple long snappers when you played? Yeah, so I started off with Danny Olsta. Okay. Um, and so Danny was my snapper for the first year I, I was there. And then um, Andy Schultz took over. Okay. So Andy Schultz was there from uh, there on out, actually. So that, that following spring, I guess the spring of whatever that would have been, 2007. Um, mm mm-hmm. You remember what that was like, just kind of knowing that, okay, I'm, I'm going to be the guy. And, and as we talked about at the top of the podcast, and, you know, big responsibility comes with that. It did, yeah. And, you know, the competitive aspect of me was ready to go. You know, I was embracing the opportunity, very happy to, um, you know, be the guy. Like, that's, I mean, I, I, I was, you know, very confident in my ability to be you know, a good punter. Um, and even more in my, you know, work ethic to, you know, get to the top and where I want to be. And so I was mentally prepared at that point. And going into spring ball, I remember it was a little nerve wracking. And it was also kind of trying to find your footing of, you know, where on the team, you know, you fit in because you're not just a freshman anymore. Okay, you have a season under your belt. Granted, you only have one semester of college under your belt, period. But you have to just go, you know, you have to work with it. And so you guys, you're asked to grow up pretty quickly. And I had a lot of help. I mean, I, if there's one thing that I was good at developing players, not only on the physical, but on the mental. 
and you know the program is tuned to each individual guy and I mean like I said I mentioned coach Doyle before but he's just an invaluable part of the program on the mental aspect as well as the physical I mean it is and so I really attribute a lot of my you know a lot of my growing up and my success to coach Doyle I mean he's He's, uh, you know, he really takes and loves his players. So it's, uh, and he won't say that ever, but he does. He loves us. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, he helped out a lot. I think just going in that spring ball, I mean, you know, I was just adapting, you know, just do your thing and, and uh, you know, trust your, trust your techniques. Not the easiest of seasons to break in. You guys certainly rode the roller coaster in 2007 and then, uh, did not end on a high note, missed the bowl game. Um, what do you remember from that season and, and kind of, uh, you know, they say through adversity kind of builds character. Do you, do you, when you look at back at it now, do you see that in that 2007 season? I did. Um, man, you know, we, we did a lot of growing up that season. You know, that was, uh, that was a very grueling season. I think that was one of the most grueling seasons. That, that was the most grueling season that I had at Iowa was that, was that freshman year not only, you know, for the personal end, but also, you know, for the, um, for the season. I mean, we didn't make a bowl game and that's always, always, always the number one, you know, goal, except for beating Iowa state, you know, is a bowl game. And it's, you know, it was, we felt it. I mean, we, we definitely hit the, hit the, hit the weights hard that off season because uh, that was our character building season and going into the 08 season. <clears throat> that's when we started to kind of really find, you know, ourselves. We had a lot of young guys. We had a couple, you know, we had a few veterans for, to be sure, but we had a lot of young guys. I remember my recruiting class was one of the biggest. Um, and I still graduated with 18, 20 guys too. So, I mean, we had a really pretty big recruiting class and, you know, really just really, really, really just coming together that, that off season. I mean, I think in my personal history, I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. The harder that you work in the off season, the more it translates to the season, and that's just personal experience. I mean, I've I've been a part of, part of you know seasons where you know we took it a little easier you know in the off season, or you know we didn't go as hard, and then we versus when we you know change up our off season training format, and you know we're going for two and three hours during the day in the summer, and I think that translated you know huge huge for us. So definitely working hard in the off season definitely pays off. <laughs> Yeah, and then uh, that 2008 season was was an interesting one. You had uh, you had the quarterback deal. Um, you had Sean Green. Yeah, uh, yeah Sean you had uh, the just excruciating loss at Illinois. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you guys took off from there. It just seemed like the light that in Illinois game, the light switch went on, and you took off. What What do you remember about that? Oh, I don't remember a whole lot about that, but I do remember. You didn't, lose, you didn't lose again after that Illinois game. Oh, yeah. Yep. I, I do remember that. We did take off. Um, <laughs> that was fun. That was a lot of fun because we kind of found who we were. And I think we were not only having fun, I think we were, you know, it was, a, it was, it was fun to try to discover who we were. And it was, it was just a lot of growing. I mean, I think that after, you know, you, you lose a few more games and after that, especially after that 07 season, and you know, we lost to Western Michigan at the end of the year. And, and it was, uh, you know, not a very great way to, you know, end your big 10 season is to lose to a Mac team. And so I think one, we just got tired. We just got tired of, you know, losing the close games. Um, I think it was either that year, was it that year or the next year that we lost, you know, I mean, lost all of our games by less than 12 points total, you know, and, from what I remember, it was like that year in and year out. I mean, we never really got blown out um, when I was there, um, except for maybe once, I think, at Purdue earlier that season, actually, in the 08. But um, I remember the team took off, and I think we just started to find our, our identity. And I think that really, really, really helped us you know, spring into the 09 season. 
yeah, the trajectory there was just kind of like you could tell you guys were kind of on that that second part of 08 and then in the beginning of 09 until Ricky got hurt against Northwestern. It just seemed like you guys found a groove and, and everybody kind of uh, figured out their roles. And can you kind of feel that when that's going on, that you guys are starting to rise up? Yeah, we definitely, I mean, we, we, you, you can feel it in the building, you know, you have the, you know, the national pundits who, you know, weigh in and we, you know, we saw our, our stock kind of rising and, you know, we don't, we don't believe anything until, you know, we actually beat these teams. And so we started winning a lot of games and, you know, then we got the, you know, the sports illustrated, the dreaded sports illustrated cover, which everyone was uh, terrified about. <laughs> and, um, you know, and, and, you know, then Ricky, you know, gets hurt and bad things, you know, things happen, you know, and you just kind of got to roll with it. It's, it wasn't the most ideal situation for Ricky to get hurt then, but you know, we, we were definitely, you know, up until that point, we were a unit and we were a scary unit. And, um, you know, without our leader out there, it just didn't translate. I mean, shoot, we even went to, we went to uh, overtime at Ohio State the very next week with James Vandenberg under center, you know? I mean, that's how good that team, that team was, you know? And, I mean, James, do all due credit to him, he stepped in and played very well, like lights out. He did very well in that environment. And I mean, that was probably the loudest, that was the loudest environment that I had been a part of because that was for the Rose Bowl and, you know, sell out crowd at the shoe, you know, for James Vandenberg to come in there and start, you know, start, I think his very first game, it had to be his very first game starting for a big 10 championship to go to the Rose Bowl. I mean, and to go to overtime in that game, I mean, that just shows you the resiliency of that team. Um. Yes, and obviously you guys ended on a high note with the Orange Bowl win, and uh, mm-hmm. you uh, it, it, you were uh, that was obviously a game where uh, you know you were involved in. Um, I think you had you punted well in that game. The average wasn't great, but I think you had. Uh, I remember that you, your punts were difficult to return. I think you had at least a couple that were that you know. Fair call down inside the 20. Um, and that was kind of a okay. defensive battle. What do you remember from the Orange Bowl and kind of, you know, your role in that? The Orange Bowl, I remember it was a good game. Man, that was a great game. Um, I remember, you know, we were really, really tuned up on defense to really stop that triple option of Georgia Tech. We were, you know, that was, that was 75% of the focus is just stopping that option. And I remember, I can't remember what the exact stat was, but it was in the, they, they had double digits total yards, I believe, in the first half. And, you know, I don't remember anything about punting in the first half except for, you know, you know, a couple kind of slid off my foot, didn't really go well. But when that happens, obviously it's nice to, you know, have your return team there because they cover all those bad punts and let it roll, and uh, they, they really helped me out on those. But, I mean, as far as punting goes, it wasn't really a big punting game. Field position-wise, I mean, I feel like the offense did everything for us that game. Um, I mean, they really came through. They executed very, very well, and we really played our game. I mean, that was that was an Iowa football game. I mean, if it, if the forty degree weather in Miami didn't uh, tell that tale, the, the play did for sure. Yeah, that was just not cool at all, man. It was literally <laughs> it wasn't cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that was Iowa came to town, man. And I remember that because it's Miami, so they've got an open-air press box down there. And we're like, God, I didn't bring a coat. <laughs> I know. I know. I remember <laughs> we were down in Miami. You know, we were there for a you know, week, week and a half before the game, and they were teaching people on the news how to use space heaters. You know, us Midwesterners are like, ah, that's funny. But really, like, they don't know how to deal with the cold. That's, that's not something that happens in Miami often. So I'm going to say that was a big favor for the Hawks that weekend. Yeah, was the I'm trying my memory so bad, but the 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 um, the Insight Bowl the following year, your senior year, um, mm-hmm. punting was more was more of a factor in that game, correct? Uh, I think I only had two or three punts that game actually. Okay, a lot of turnovers that game. I remember that. Um, I think I only had a couple punts, and they were pooch punts. And I remember being mad at myself because they went in the end zone, and you know we're in Arizona, so the so it's, you know, a lot thinner. The air is a lot thinner, so you can really, you know, hit the ball um, with a more hang time. And so, you know, at that point, you know, 
I know I can pound the ball in the end zone, but I'm just trying to kick the ball literally as high as I could possibly go. And, uh, you know, I caught a couple of those and they just took off. I think one went through the uprights and the other one like went halfway into the end zone, you know, with five plus hang time, but that doesn't help anything. So I think uh, I was disappointed in my final performance as uh, a Hawkeye, but um, very happy we won that game. Hey, you guys won three bowl games. Yes. You know, after not making a bowl, bowl game your freshman year, you ended up winning three, three pretty big ones. Yeah, and, if, and I remember you were, uh, you, know, you were asking you know, how you think that season affected it, and I think that's, that's the stat right there. We didn't win, but we didn't win that 07 year, but, man, if we didn't win the next three. What are some of your favorite moments uh, as a Hawkeye, Ryan? Not, I mean, maybe some punts, but also just kind of, you know, maybe we've hit on them, maybe some of the, the postseason stuff, but um, just kind of punts that you remember or games that stand out to you. Man, so many games. Oh, it's, there are so many good memories. I mean, you talk about each season. Each season had its own tale, you know. Yeah. You know, 07, we, were, you know, we didn't make the bowl game, but, you know, we did a lot growing up then. I mean, me personally, I did a lot growing up then. I remember shanking balls left and right into the stands. I remember third game at, uh, against Syracuse, I shanked the ball. I think it went eight yards, but it went like eight rows up. And we were in our own end. It was a bad deal. It was probably the worst, probably the wor- worst position that I had put um, I, our team in the whole time I was there. And so, you know, you, you take that from the very beginning, my very third game, all the way to, you know, we were just talking about the 52nd or 53rd game that I had, you know, played with Iowa in the bowl game. And, you know, there are some punts that stand out, obviously, like the, the 82-yard punt against Michigan State. I mean, that's, that definitely stands out. Um, with that punt, shoot, that was the longest one I had at Iowa. And I remember going, I was standing at my own goal line and the sun was just right in my eyes. And so one of the things my special teams coach always told me was keep your head down. Don't look at the ball. You know, if you keep your head down, you keep your, keep your hips driving through the ball. Um, good things are going to happen. And so I caught the ball, dropped it low and just tried to change field position and I punted it, looked up directly into the sun, couldn't see anything. So then I covered my eyes, um, just put my hand over my face to try to see where, you know, anything was. And the punt returner is running straight backwards. And I thought, okay, that's probably a good sign. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and, you know, that was, that, that was a really good feeling coming off the field and, um, you know, realizing that that was, you know, as long as of a punt as it was. Um, but that's definitely one of the highlights. I think that whole game, too, I mean, it was – I think we had eight punts that game, and um, I averaged, like, about 52 yards a punt on eight punts. And that was kind of the game where, you know, I gained a lot of confidence um, because that was a very close game. Mm. And I remember the specialists, Coach Ferris said the specialists really, really helped change the momentum of that game and kept us in it in the first half. And, um, you know – we did. It was we. It was one of our best performances, as specialists in that uh, Michigan State game. Um, I think that was in '08. I believe that was '08. Um, but we were talking about special, special punts and special memories. And I think the most special memory that I have is not even punting. It's holding, and it was holding for that Penn State hold for uh, to be Penn State in 2008. Yeah, that was, it was incredible. I mean, there, there's not anything that I could say that, you know, I haven't said before, or other guys haven't said before about that game. It's just so special. And I think that's the one, the one play that I'll remember forever. I remember how cold it was. <clears throat> I don't remember the cold. I really don't. I remember laughing at the other punter <laughs> because he was hiding in between the uh, equipment boxes. But um I, I, I remember, man, just the atmosphere. I mean, everyone was wearing green for Sean Green. And, and I remember when we kicked that ball, Aaron Maben was their linebacker. And Aaron Maben jumped, I think, 14 feet in the air. Because <laughs> as, soon as, I, as soon as Dan kicked the ball, I remember looking up and I see Aaron Maben just, just both hands up. And the ball sailed about four inches to the left of his hand. And four inches to the right, he blocked it. Like, he got high enough. And Dan kicked the ball high enough. But 
it was uh, it was four inches from being blocked, and that's the one thing I remember. That just little snapshot in my head of that scary, scary moment, and then followed by pure just triumph. <laughs> yeah, the interesting thing we touched on it already was that was the week after the Illinois loss, where you guys lost on the field goal. Yeah. Um, and just the resiliency to be able to bounce back from that and beat uh, Penn State, I think, was a top five team when you guys beat them. Yeah, they were uh, they were third back then. But um, yeah, I would say that, and uh, I would say the the other um, really memorable play that we had was in the Orange Bowl when um, I was holding. We did the fake field goal to Dan Murray, yeah. which didn't work. But I did want to say that it was a well executed play. <laughs> Yes. You would have loved yeah, it was, after LeVar Woods, I think. He seems to be able to get to Coach Ferentz in terms of these trick plays. Man, do I wish I had uh, LeVar's voice when I, was, uh, <laughs> when I was a specialist at Iowa. Man, I was pulling for fakes left and right, or at least punting. Was Coach Herb the special teams coach then? He was, yeah, the whole time. Mm-hmm. What uh... – I always wonder, and I don't know if I've asked any of you guys this, what's, what's, what's the specialist relationship? And maybe it's different for each of you guys. I don't want to, you know, group you all into to one group. But what, what kind of was your relationship with, with Coach Kirk Ferns? Um, yeah, no, I mean, our, my relationship with Coach was um, great. I mean, you know, we, I, we, we didn't really have a whole lot of, um, you know, interaction. We were really just dealing with Coach Doyle and um, Coach or our, our, our position coach. Um, you know, he's kind of the guy who puts it all together. So when you need to, you know, when you need to be into the fold and you're part of the big plan, um, you know, you, you have a lot more interactions with him. And so, you know, just being around coach Ferentz is a treat. I mean, you know, now he is the most tenured, but I mean, back then, you, you know, you had a few more tenured coaches in the big 10 and yet he was still, you know, the most respected. And I think that's just, I think that just tells you who Kirk Ferentz is and, you know, he's just one of the most respected and nice people um, and understanding people, um, which you have to be to deal with college kids every day, which I don't know how he does that, but he's, uh, he's, he's such a great guy. And, you know, my interactions with him and specialists, you know, we don't really have to, uh, you know, talk to coach that much. And if we do, it's because we did something bad. <laughs> so anytime that we didn't have to talk to coach was a good time. And as long as we just kept our head down and did the right thing, um, things worked out. Yeah, I didn't know if, how much interaction there is with, like, him asking you guys about, you know, how you're feeling with the wind or, you know, just little, I guess, things like that that affect you if, if he's, like, tuned into that. Mm-hmm. No, he is. Yeah, he's definitely, you know, learned a thing or two from, uh, you know, all of his specialists. I mean, he's, he's one of the most knowledgeable football coaches I know. And, um, you know, he's not as hands-on with the specialists. And, he's, you know, he, he, him himself is uh, – you know, the offensive line prowess and, you know, the offensive mastermind. Um, but, you know, he definitely knows a thing or two about punting and he'll, he'll definitely let you know if, if he thinks that uh, you're doing something wrong. And if he points it out, you're definitely, uh, you're definitely not right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's more, um, it's more common these days, Ryan, that, uh, that specialists, uh, you know, not holders and, and uh, long snappers, but, but punters and kickers are, are being awarded uh, scholarships out of high school now. It, it wasn't as prevalent when, when you were, but you did get one. Um, mm-hmm. You know, what What kind of impact did that have? And I don't remember your recruit. I know I wrote the recruiting story for you, but I don't remember what other schools were involved and what that process was like for you to pick Iowa. But that had to be, I mean, that had to, to be, um, you know, I don't know if rewarding is the right word, but, but gratifying that you got a scholarship when a lot of guys had to walk on and prove themselves. Yeah, it was, uh, I mean, that, that was just complete blessing. I mean, I I was blessed with a lot of accolades um, in college, I'm sorry, in high school. Um, You know, I was a uh, first team USA today, all American, the army, all American bowl I played in. Um, You know, I was a Tom, what really started off with the Tom Lemming, um, making his all area team and all state team. Um, those things just really, you know, projected me um, into the national spotlight. And, you know, there was, you know, rivals has their, you know, they had their uh, rankings at the time. And, you know, so, so do all these other websites. And um, I was 
prominently fixed and, you know, fixed at uh, the top of those. And it was, like I said, great publicity, nothing that I really did by my, on my own. You know, I, I still get calls and um, questions from parents like, Hey, how do I promote myself? And not only has things changed so much, but I mean, it's, it, it's really hard to get your name out there and really, you know, publicize it without, you know, just having the numbers and really the numbers helped me. I mean, I, my junior year in high school, I could five field goals over 50 yards. And I think that really, um, really helped me out a lot. Um, and just to get into that national spotlight. And so, you know, back then it was super, super hard for kickers and punters to, you know, get scholarships out of high school. And if you wanted one, you had to go to one of the premier kicking camps. Um, as a kicker, you had to go, you know, to Coles or uh, Chris Saylor at the time. And, you know, I was born and raised just, you know, middle-class guy who couldn't really afford to go out to California to, you know, try to put my name up there. So I really just had to trust in my coach, JJ, and, um, you know, really just perform. And um, it was really, really special and really lucky for, you know, my recruiting process to be, you know, to have some of those accolades. Um, and it definitely helped out. As far as scholarships, I wasn't really offered a whole lot of scholarships. I mean, I, few Mac schools. I remember my very first one was Akron, um, Bowling Green, and Ball State. I did get, I got offers from those three schools. And then going into my senior year, I had three schools on my radar. And that was um, Iowa, Northwestern, and Notre Dame. All three were looking for a kicker. Um, and, you know, me being from Chicago, those are the, those are the schools that, you know, I liked the best. Mm-hmm. I had a workout at each one of those schools. Um, and those were that were really targeted and I remember Charlie Weiss the very first school I had was uh, Notre Dame and Charlie Weiss was the brand new head coach there he had all of his rings on going off for the kickers and there was about four kickers uh, who they were looking at and we all started um, just working out in front of him and they ended up going with a guy from India, uh, Indiana who if I recall played I think three games total for them. Um, but I did walk away from that, um, knowing that I wasn't going to receive the Notre Dame scholarship. And then I went to Northwestern and Iowa back to back days. So I had a Northwestern workout. Um, and I was kind of traveling with the same guys. And I remember Sean, uh, Demos, his name was Demos and he was the kicker. He ended up being the kicker in Northwestern. He had a really good day at Northwestern that day. Um, and I think he was supposed to go to Iowa after that and didn't end up going because of the workout he had at Northwestern. So then the next day I went to Iowa and, uh, had a workout there, uh, in front of the coaches in the bubble, good old bubble days. And, uh, it went really well. And on my way home, I was offered a scholarship and it was, uh, man, I shoot, I might've even talked to, I can't remember who I talked to after that, but I think it was, you might've been one of the people I talked to after that on the ride home. Um, for being offered the scholarship. And it was really a no-brainer. I mean, I loved Iowa. As soon as I came here and saw the campus and met the people and had been, to- uh, been in touch with Coach Herb, it was, you know, it was a no-brainer for me. I mean, just the family aspect is something that, you know, I value. And, you know, when you come to Iowa, it's a family. So it was, uh, it, it stuck out right away. And uh, I had never looked back since I came there. Were you going to punt in college, Ryan, or was there some decision to make between punting and kicking? I wanted to be a kicker. Um, JJ, my kicking coach, you know, said I was a kicker. You know, I just had the style of a kicker. And Coach Ferentz's, um his position was anyone can kick. Um, there are a dime a dozen nowadays. And, you know, it takes something really special to be a punter. And I think he just, you know, saw that I could have that potential to be, you know, a really special punter. And, um, you know, kicking, I never gave up on it. I always tried to work my way into being the long field goal kicker. I was always the backup field goal guy or the onside guy. I was always, I was always working my way into that kicker fold. But, um, you know, once I really started focusing on punting, um, and I didn't really start really focusing on it seriously until college, um, until, I mean, until I was told that I was going to be, you know, a punter only. And so really putting all my efforts into that had really translated into uh, a good career. And uh, I, I got to thank Coach Ferentz for talking me into staying with punting. <laughs> was your hat in the ring, Ryan? With because uh, there was the competition. I think that was '08 with with Moss Brucker and uh, and Daniel. Were you kind of involved in that as well? No, no. I was uh, at that point. I was you know just firmly a backup you know kicker, and they wanted them to focus on that. And 
me focus on the punting aspect. So I do remember that kicking battle though, because I was, uh, I had to hold for both kickers. And so kickers are, it's, I always told them that uh, they're going to have to pay for my knee replacements. I think it was that year because I had <laughs> my knees. I was just, I was like a catcher, and so, uh, you know, for both. And both guys wanted as many reps as they could possibly get out of the hold and things like that. So um, I got to hit those guys up when that knee replacement comes here. Pretty soon. <laughs> but uh, no, I was just the holder for that. And, um, you know, I, the, the, that's the role I, I played uh, as, as part of that unit. Yeah, that was, uh, I remember that Penn State game that you talked about. It was kind of a decision that had to be made. Who was going to go in there and kick that thing? There was. Yeah, that was, uh, that was a bit, there was a big discrepancy on who was going to kick that one. And uh, they were both warming up. And then I can't remember who came down and said it, but they said Dan's going to take, take the kick if it comes to a kick. And uh, It's funny how those things work out. Just, you know, you go back, there's always these little side stories to history. You know, I mean, I think Dan was like one for three or two for four or something that year. Trent was the kicker. I mean, he right. was, I mean, uh, Dan, Dan was the long distance kicker. Anything, I think it was over 35 yards was Dan. I mean, I think Trent still took everything up to like 40. So Dan only had a couple of kicks that year. And uh, I think they just wanted to go with experience. I mean, Trent was, I believe he was a true freshman or a redshirt freshman, but it was his first year kicking. I know that. And, um, you know, he had some, you know, he, he had a really good season up until that point. Um, he had some balls that kind of got away from him. Um, but, you know, ultimately, that's the, just the coach's decision. I mean, when you're in that moment, in that time, playing the number three team in the nation about to, you know, win Penn State, I mean, and be bowl eligible that game, I think he just really wanted a senior or a uh, – I'm sorry, not a senior, but a uh, veteran to kick that ball. Mm-hmm. Made the right choice. Yeah, I mean, I think either way he would have made the right choice. Trent was uh, – I think I, I have no doubt that Trent would have made that. Dan would have made that. I think, you know, both those guys, they're, they're, they're football guys, and um, they both have ice in their veins. You know, from both of their careers, you can pick out any any kick in any game, and, you know, you'll see that. Yeah, it's a legacy that's continued from, uh, you know, Marshall Kane to uh, Keith Duncan, some big kicks. Uh, Big kicks. Yes, they are. And uh, we're very proud of that. Super proud of that. (laughs) How was your your position, I don't know if develops the right word, but is is punting the same now as when you did it, when when you were in college? It's been a while now. I don't know. That's a great question. You're seeing more rugby style guys. It just, it seems like there's more, there's, there are, there's more involved in punting now than, than there was a decade ago. And you, I'm so glad you asked that question because I have been telling people this for a while now, um, not for a while. Well, I mean, it's the, the, the game of punting has changed dramatically since I've left the NFL. So 10 years. And the, I mean, even in college, like everything has completely changed. So um, there's a pipeline now from Australia here and rug, the rugby started to get popular, um, you know, when I was in college, but not, I mean, I would say probably 10% of guys would rugby punt a ball. Um, I couldn't think of anybody in the Big Ten that did um, at that time during my career. I think Zoltan Mesco might have done um, a couple of which punts mm-hmm. that were end over end, but that's it. So in the past 10 years, there have been several different innovations in the game. Um, I mean, if you look, you know, on the NFL, whether it's the punter offsetting to show that he's going to go right. I mean, the punter has to offset to whichever side he's going to go to. Mm-hmm. So the linebackers are picking up on that and telling the returners which way they're going. And so punters are doing now is faking that way and then doing a complete opposite leg swing the other way. Like they're throwing it up and then they're kicking across their body to the other side of the field to fool the returners. And this is becoming more and more prevalent um, in NFL and NCAA. Not only that, but now we're throwing in these – quote unquote, banana kicks and, and these impossible balls, these knuckle balls and things that a lot of the, that Australian pipeline has brought over um, and just shown us different ways to kick a ball. I mean, I remember the guy who came in and replaced me at Detroit, his name was uh, Ben Grant, um, Australian rules football um, legend over there from what I hear. And he, uh, you know, he taught me a lot while I was injured in the second half of that 2011 season in Detroit 
I mean, he could hit a ball like we can throw it. So, I mean, what he explained to me is Australians grow up, they grow up kicking a ball. Americans, we grow up throwing a ball, football, basketball, baseball. It's, it's all with your hands except for soccer, right? And so um, then with the foot and the footy, they discover different ways to kick a ball, and they're translating it to the, the, the pigskin. I mean, they have a ball that's round, oblong, and they, you know, kick it as part of their natural game, and it's, you know, a lot easier ball to hit. And they figured out ways to, you know, manipulate the trajectory. And it's, it's really, truly amazing. And, you know, it doesn't show up on TV. You'll be watching someone and, you know, Pat McAfee will come on and say, oh, that was a banana kick. That was amazing. 5% of people know what a banana kick is. And really, truly, it's like going against anything that you'll ever, you know, try to do. It's like you're kicking, you're trying to kick opposite the ball that you're actually trying to hit. And it's so complicated that you won't even see it on TV, but the returner will be completely baffled. He'll see this ball in the air. And catching punts in its own right is not easy to do. Everyone thinks they can catch a punt, but it's not easy to do. Yeah. And when, you, when they hit these balls and really just hit these knuckleballs on the way down, it's really impossible for these returners to catch it. So I think the game has completely changed. The, the, the schemes have changed just to, you know, the skills of the punters. And the punter skill in the past 10 years has gone up tenfold. It's, it's, it's truly a different game now. Yeah, and the, the, uh, like you said, that, uh, that Australian uh, kick – is it Pro Kick Australia? Is that the name of the uh, – I believe so, yeah. I, I, I know that's, uh, that's where Michael Sleep Dalton came from. And mm-hmm. uh, they just the, – the, they signed a kid, Tory Taylor, out of there this year who's coming in as a freshman here at Iowa. They actually sent Coach Woods and his wife to Australia to recruit No, How'd he look out? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so, sure. yeah, I mean, it's really a phenomenon that, that, that's going on right now with, with that aspect of football is uh, they really have just kind of advanced it. Yeah, and, um, you know, I mean, it's, it, it, I mean, it's changing football for the better. Um, it's making it more exciting. You know, a few years ago, and even now you're, think, you're, you're hearing that, you know, they want to take kicking out of the game and they want to, you know, make things safer and things like that. But I think the innovations, uh, at least in the punting game, have really, you know, reinvigorated the, the fight to keep that, keep punting part of the game. Um, I think it's really helped, uh, really helped us out. And you know what, you know, whether it be the Australians or, you know, Germans or, you know, whoever wants to come in and, you know, affect the game and make it better for the positive, I think that's just all part of the natural process. And I think, welcome anything. Yeah, and now uh, folks in the U.S. need to uh, need to pick up on it. I think Coach Ferentz said back in this off- sometime during this long off season uh, that uh, if he was advising parents now, that he would have them um, teach their kids how to punt. Yeah, mm-hmm. and that's going from a head coach who gets it. <laughs> all right, it was. Uh, I appreciate you giving us all this time. This kind of I was. It, conversation kind of flowed and I kept you for a long time and I appreciate you uh doing yeah, it no, absolutely yeah it was great I mean thank you for having me I really appreciate appreciate it it's always good to talk Hawkeye football especially when uh you know there's not a whole lot going on right now <laughs> yeah I agree and I think it was I think I did interview you when you were leaving Iowa on your uh on your car ride home so that uh that speaks to how long we've known each other and how old I am yeah, and uh, how old I'm getting, man. It's, uh, it's always fun to look back, though, and I really appreciate the trip, the trip down memory lane. Well, thanks again, Ryan, and thanks to everybody for listening, and we'll be back next week with uh, another Hawkeye History podcast, and uh, I'll have to track somebody down, maybe on uh, LinkedIn like I did with Ryan, and we yeah. were able to connect. But uh, I appreciate everybody listening, and we'll talk to you soon.